0: hello and welcome my guest today is jt barnett jt is a former professional athlete turned founder and content creator and he talks about business marketing and his own lifestyle and he's grown his audience to over a million people so in this conversation we spoke about how he breaks down different platforms and how he's been doing that since he was a young kid how he spots talent his own internal growth why he has so many different coaches how to find a wife, and when he knew he'd be famous. I wanna give a special shout out to JT and some members of his team, Damian and Diego. They were so warm and inviting into their own home. So if you see the video visuals of this episode in beautiful 4K or the clips coming out, you know it's because of JT's incredible team and his hospitality for this episode. So thank you JT and your team incredible. Really appreciate you guys. This episode is sponsored by Arthi and Ram's Good Time Show. These are conversations with founders, athletes, and technologists who have made it from being outsiders to now insiders. Past guests of their show include Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Naomi Osaka, and Gary Vaynerchuk, as well as 20 or 30 more incredible Human beings. So check out Arthi and Shriram's Good Time Show on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now here is JT Barnett. JT, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm really grateful and honored for your time and attention. So thank you for being here.
1: I'm stoked, dude. This is. I'm serious. This is like one of the podcasts that I'm really excited to do. Uh, your reputation precedes you. Thank
0: you. Yours does as well. And we'll we're, we're about we're going to get into all of it. Cool. Um, let's start with MySpace in sixth or seventh grade. Why were you setting up
1: MySpace accounts in sixth yes. or seventh grade? This is what. Okay, so this is what I mean by you're a great host. You do your research, uh, and we're going to go into some fun places. It'll be fun for anybody else listening. Um. The three things that i always say i was really into when i was a kid was sports um creativity musician arc all that um and internet and like you think about being i was born in 92 so like around the age of 10 i'm like it's 2002 like right after y2k internet's like starting to be a big thing so when i was in fifth sixth seventh grade the big platform was myspace and and AOL instant messenger those are the two things those are the things that i had an older brother that showed me here's the internet this is how it works and i was just fascinated with it i think i'm a curious person that just likes to i like to test and i love people and so the fact that you could connect with people around the world on it um or like just extend your friend group um was really fascinating to me so i got i got hooked i was I was adding people on Mindspace, like I was adding my friends and people from other schools, hockey players that I would meet at a tournament, all that kind of thing. But I also fell in love with being able to customize your page. So that was my intro into what I would look at now as like some sort of coding meets graphic design, like, you know, a little bit of creative in there. So there was a lot of things that Mindspace encompassed for me that allowed me to continue doing what I'm doing. What
0: are the similarities between when you see MySpace and you work on that and then Instagram? You look at Instagram and you're like, oh, wow, this is the first time a visual platform is
1: existing where you can gain followers. What are the similarities that you notice? So MySpace, you weren't following people. You weren't following people um, as much to hear about their thoughts and things like that. You were just adding people and mainly adding your group of friends. You weren't like really extending out into different networks. Uh, Instagram was the first platform that you would click follow on somebody that you didn't actually know in real life just because you were entertained by what they posted visually mm. about themselves and so that was something that facebook didn't have facebook didn't have that facebook invented the like button which was a big thing for them so once facebook invented likes it kind of created this new way of people receiving validation through the things that they were posting I don't even uh, on on myspace i don't even know if they had likes but if they did it wasn't at people didn't look at it as like oh that video or that photo or whatever got as many likes facebook was the first thing where it was like you could see on a public news feed what videos and or what photo video at the time what photo and status and that kind of thing would get a lot of likes so then people would start creating stuff with that intention and then instagram fully was like we're gonna do this but it's just gonna be around photos and so that was like just a completely different um, realm of getting people to consume. I um, mean, that was really intriguing for me as well. What inside of you when you're
0: looking at all these platforms makes you want to explore because there are millions of people who go on these platforms every day and they're not thinking about, Oh, the like button exists in this way. Or if you do this, this changes, there's something inside of you that's called
1: to break down the platforms and understand. I'm trying to figure out what is that exactly? Yeah, I want it. Uh, so yeah, because you asked such awful questions, I want to like actually like really think about my answer mm. the for that, I think that I'm somebody who likes to understand the why. Mm. I love getting to the root and understanding why things are the way that they are. That can be a dumb source because something some things just don't have actual logical sense, mm. but I think i I love understanding i like so for for example, for that. Uh, for the example of Instagram, I loved seeing people's pages and seeing their photos and going back into their history and looking at how did they get to where they got to? Why are they doing this now? Why did they meet this person? Why are they doing this job? Um, so curiosity is a big element of my makeup. Um, and I think that it to, why that is a thing that I really wanted to why I am so curious is I think it helps me relate to people more. I think it helps me know people more or understand more, uh, which then makes me feel closer. So my investigation or like my curiosity into understanding the why allows me to feel closer to the people on the other side. How have you done that personally? Ask why, why, why?
0: What are the the steps that you took to look at yourself and be like, what's going on here and why am I doing
1: the things that I'm doing? All the time, all the time. I think... um, Thinking back to like trying to think of the the first time that I really looked at myself and was like asking why well, I would probably be like, Yeah, I'm trying to think of a moment that it was like, Oh, this is clear for me. That would probably be like around the time when I'm starting to play pro and semi pro hockey, so 15, 16, 17. Before that, I don't think I was really consciously aware of where I'm at as a, a person. I think I was just living. Um, but I do remember as a kid. I just remember I always, I was always so curious and I was always, I had no interest in being the same as everybody. I liked being different. Um, And so I'm sure that there was moments when I was as a kid that I would be like, why am I so different than other people? Why do I like doing this and other people like doing that? Um, But it really became clear to me when I moved away from home and went and played junior hockey in Canada that I that the way that I worked with myself was different than most, or was or was just something that wasn't maybe as taught, and I think that that just came naturally to me. Um, but I, from the moment that I was probably fifteen, 16 when I moved away, was very aware of myself and how I can work with myself to to improve the things that I didn't love or or change things that I wanted to improve. Um, but also to like really like honor or enjoy or like hold strong with the things that I actually already really loved. So then take me through when you speak about being
0: different, you're 15 or 16 years old, you get pulled into the GM's office for maybe the MySpace accounts or something you're posting online and he sits you down and is like, what are you doing here? Take me through that conversation and how that highlighted the differences or you being different. And how did that impact you?
1: Yeah. Um, this, is the, this is where I think the, the crux of my story has been is I loved hockey. It was my passion. It was the thing that I grew up doing and caring about. But I also had this whole other side of me that didn't feel like it was getting the recognition or the validation or even the, like, the being shown to the world that I deserve. Um, and so that was a big thing for me. I I I like being somebody that pushes boundaries, but I like being respectful as well. I don't like being a I, I don't like being a rebel, but I also really try to meet my own needs. And so when I feel like there's things that aren't meeting my needs, and I know intuitively that it's something that I care about, I tr- I it's a it's a you can understand how that could be like cross at, at an intersection where I'm like I, I understand your point of view and I wanna respect it, but I also have my own point of view. And so that was what hockey was for me. Hockey was a big part of that. Um I was doing MySpace. I was doing all these different I was doing Tumblr as well. That's right. Um and I got called into the general manager's office and it, he just brought up the fact that I had a Tumblr account that was and on top Tumblr's whole thing was like post random images that are like hype beast and like some of it was like girls and it wasn't like nudity, but it was like it was like models or it was like cars. And there's probably like some rappers and like, just like different things in culture at that time. I'm in like high school at this age. Uh, And so he called me and it was like, like just basically said, you can't be doing this. What are you doing? Are you focused on hockey? Do you care about hockey? This doesn't show that you really care about hockey We're we're a little concerned that you care about hockey. And I think now looking back to it, I think I was really confused. There was nothing that really happened because of that it ended up just being like something where it was just brought to my attention and then that was it. But I think for me it was just a very confusing kind of time for me because I had this intuition that it was something that I really cared about, but it what but at the same time it also didn't fit into the mold of the system that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't know that though. So I'm in the system like, oh shit, like why are they upset at what I'm doing? It doesn't feel like I'm doing something wrong or something that I shouldn't be doing. I know this is helping me as a player, but they're telling me this is something that they don't want to do. So it's kind of confusing for me. So that was like a big part of the whole hockey thing.
0: So kind of similar situation happened to me when I was 13. I wrote a a time management blog and I wrote it as a 13 year old. And I'm like, what happened was there was like a 40 year old woman who commented on the blog and wrote her own blog post about how this couldn't possibly be a 13 year old it was a 20 something year old or a parent who was acting as a 13 year old so that they could get more attention and so that situation pointed out to me like the society that i'm in or the things that are happening are not aligning like it doesn't feel good when people push back against the things that you create and you're like why why is this bad why can't i do this and so for you how does it? How does it, like, what do you do then? You, you know that the people above you aren't really supporting your mission and your creativity. How does that land on you? And how do you, like, navigate through that and forward? Did you continue the Tumblr
1: blog or? Yeah. What So, systems are meant to be built and then they're meant to be broken. Mm. And I think, for me, the, the system that I was in wasn't serving me. So, I had to create my own, internal way of navigating it knowing that I wanted to continue playing within that system because if you The options for me was either Recognize that I really care about this other shit and go all in on it and leave and stop playing hockey or stop doing the thing that I was doing or adapt and find ways to still like navigate it and enjoy it uh, while not completely alienating myself or denying myself love to my needs and the things that I care about. So that's what I did. I think I navigated the next 10 years of hockey being the dude on the team. That was a little bit more, not outsider being the dude on the team That was a little bit different. That was a little bit more counterculture. That was a little bit, had a little bit more of a reputation of being a little bit more edgy or out there pushing against the edges. Mm. Uh, But also navigating that, by being a dude that really cared about his team and really cared about the other guys. And so I think the guys in the team really respected me as a player. I think certain coaches that understood me and where I was at, that probably had a little bit of themselves, of that, the counterculture being themselves, understood that and respected me and loved me. And then I think I also had coaches that were very forward of the culture and were very systematized and wanted people to fall in line so they could be more efficient. And those coaches did not like me, They wanted me to be, to not be different and to fall night. which, which a big part of my process of understanding me and myself and my journey has been sitting with all of this, like we're talking about and looking at it from their perspective and having an understanding of why they did what they did. Same thing with me being curious. I had to go to therapy and conversations and talk to people like my dad and talk to other friends that were hockey players and coaches and all of that to understand why did, I, why did I not get along with these coaches? Why did I have such a hard time? And now being a business owner or a boss, which is the same as a coach or an owner, I now understand that when you're building something, it's easier to scale and be efficient when everything is the same and it follows a system. Mm. You build systems that way because that builds efficiency. Having somebody that goes against the grain could fuck up that system it can completely change it and so i see like that was who i was er, in their eyes they're like this is the dude that wants to change the way we do things because he has his own opinions and he doesn't follow the the playbook and he's you know he's going against the grain a little bit here and there and we have this system that we've created so it's creating a little bit of friction for us and i just think when you're at that level it's rather than like really slowing down and getting to understand me and why i'm doing what i'm doing it's like Fuck them, get out of here, cha- trade them, change it, switch it. I understand that. I so now for me, when I look at it, I'm like, I get it. It's not a, there's no, I I love all of them that I play for now. I'm like, I, I'm super grateful for the experiences. Um, but there's, there's ways that I think the way that I looked at it, I think could be impactful and some of those teams implemented them. And for other people, it just wasn't the right thing.
0: Well, when you look at, and I've never really understood this before you just described like this when you look at the system of school school and the modern education system is just helping people be the same so that they can be everyone else and obviously this is broadly speaking but it's just like you're not rewarded for being different in a lot of cases and that's a really scary proposition because the world currently is moving towards if you're different that's better and the school system has now prepared people of like no if you're the same that's the way to be so and, and it's interesting because i think in the 1950s that actually was the best way to be mm-hmm. be the same as everyone else
1: like go and follow the norm because that's yeah bro this is a this is another big thing so th- where i the, the way that i've got to where i'm at today with business personal development relationships friends with all that is by sitting by myself and being like damn like where did i pick this up why did i why do i look at it this way especially in the times when it's shit that I, that I don't like. Mm. Like if there's things that I noticed that I'm like, oh, I have this habit of doing X, Y, and zero. I have this habit of when there's confrontation, like retreating or not even having a conversation. And I would rather change that because I know that there's something that I want to do that's different than that. So how did I pick this up? Where did I pick this up? How did I learn this? Because I want to break it and I want to rebuild something else to replace it. And so that's what I do. I end up sitting and being, and then once I understand, once I like actually can grasp, oh, I learned this. And usually it's childhood. Usually it's picked up when it's used, but, oh, I picked this up because this was something that I needed to do to like help with my family with X, Y, and Z. And I no longer need that. So cool, done. Don't need it anymore. And now I can change it. So I do that a lot. I like sit with different things that I don't like or that I feel like aren't serving me anymore. And I'm like, I'm gonna change this. I'm gonna break this pattern and I'm gonna change it. And I also do that a lot with looking at high level systems of the world that we're in today. So like you just said, a big part for me of recognizing why those coaches were the way that they were with me that led me to thinking that they didn't like me or that there was anger there towards me was understanding the way that they grew up and my parents and my parents parents the situations that they grew up in were so much harsher and so different than we were right now particularly if you think about work just even having a job literally having a job was something that most people didn't have the working conditions you could go to work and you could die at work and it would be a normal thing there was no there was no union there was no workers compensation there was no care for your employees literally getting a job was something that was a huge deal then i think my dad's generation that's my grandpa then my dad's generation was more like if you had a job where your employer cared about you it was like the grace of god like people his parents would even just couldn't even get jobs then my dad's was like if you had a job with benefits or that actually had a nine to five structure because prior to that there was no structure you just work as much as they would have you work but getting a nine to five where you knew every day you were done at five o'clock and you could go home and be with your family, and you had a stable income with benefits. That was like, oh my gosh, do you have life made? This is what you should do. Never talk back to your boss, never fall out of line because you have a nine to five. You're so lucky to have a nine to five. So, I'd, so I had to understand that, I had to process that and be like, fuck, your life was different than how I'm growing up. Now, all of us, the next generation, we don't care about that as much because we have so many options and there's so many, and that is the bottom of the barrel having a nine to five where you have benefits. And so I had to under, I had to sit with and understand all of that and do research and like look things up because now that for the perspective that I have is like, Oh, I look at those, the bosses and the coaches and all that with compassion of like, shit, they were doing their best with what they thought worked with what they thought would be efficient for the company and for the team and for the, for me. Um, And it just just, wasn't the way that I looked at it. It just wasn't what I needed. Um, And so I understand it now. and um, And now I look at it in a completely different light. Your ability to break down mass systems and then have
0: compassion and empathy is, I think, your superpower. And the crazy thing is you just did that for generations. But you also did this in a way when I was doing research for this, where you said you were talking about social media platforms. Instagram came about because people wanted... This happened on the back of the 2008 financial crisis, and people wanted to see what it was like and the benefits of people living amazing lives. Then you see TikTok come about because people want realness after seeing so much fakeness, quote unquote, with Instagram. And now you have this theory like it's about depth and you want connection with people, and depth is way more important than width. And I wanna get into that, but I also wanna highlight, like, dude, the systems and how you broke that down. Light bulb went off for me. And I was like, never thought about it like that, but it's so true. Take, take me through how you understand systems and like what's going on in your head as, you, as you're breaking that down. And how, how do you have that skill?
1: Definitely was bored with it. Yeah. So my dad was the hockey agent who went here. So if he was a hockey player. Then when he retired, he became an agent. And what he was known for as an agent, he was Wayne Grassley's agent. And he was a, a plenty of other players and agents as well. And what he was known for, was adding an element of creativity to a lot of things that are black and white. So mm. his like, his like claim to fame as an agent was that in contracts he would add language that would change that would incentivize his players in a way that teams wouldn't look at it and be like, oh, this is something that's gonna come back and bite us. Whereas for the player, they would be like, if I perform in this way that the team doesn't lo- doesn't think is as valuable as we know it is valuable, we will get paid the amount that we should actually be getting paid. So he would insert different things creatively in ways that were like very clear to the team too. Not like he's like beating around the bush with them, but like very creative language that would give his players a better uh, chance at success. And so him and his creativity, I think that he's somebody that just like looks at macro pictures and is able to kind of like pinpoint different things with them and like um, untangle chords. So I think I learned a lot of that from him. And then I think with my mom, my mom was a personal trainer who was then a spin teacher. who's always like health and wellness. Um, And I think that her thing that she really is the core of her is like that she loves people the same way that I love people. Mm. Loves family, loves community, loves people. And so I think I pulled those two things, the creativity creativity for my dad and the people loving, um, community loving for my mom. And so it just has landed in me that like, I'm able to see ways that things impact human beings. And it's, and it's very visual for me. Like I can almost like see patterns and see see the way that things connect. Um, and then on the flip side of that, see the places that things don't connect where they could. And so when I see something like Instagram and TikTok, um, it's very clear for me when I look at the macro, like a climate of our society that like you were saying, we had 10 years of Instagram being very high end and almost fake it till you make it. Mm. Um, It's just clear to me that when that happens, that we go through that period of time that we're like, oh, we're needing change, people are wanting something different, that TikTok comes out and it's polar opposite of that, that it's easy for people to make the switch. Mm. That's like a very clear thing that, oh, that clicks, that seems easy, that seems like logical. Um, And so it's very visual for me and I think that I spend time um looking at the different uh, systems around me and seeing where things could be improved okay so take me through in, in this depth verse
0: with argument and this idea that you have in your head because it might be helpful for people all right we know jt is great at breaking down systems where is the world headed jt
1: <laughs> here's this is the this is the thing that's where we look back at 10 years um so culture is a cycle everything comes and goes um it's why you see people wearing baggy pants again mm. where skinny jeans were a big thing you know 10 years ago i'm um, right. still 10 years ago you <laughs> that was funny about that. oh it's good this baggies in now and then this, you know, everything comes and goes everything's okay. a cycle and so i think right now we're going through this we're going through this climate of um and again this is like just my own opinion um I don't typically like forecasting in the future where things are gonna go, but we'll just this is what I'm guessing if I already had a guess. Uh, I think right now we've gone through a lot of a lot of good periods where the world is now in a place where people are getting very soft because it's been needed. Um, you fast you rewind back to 2008 recession. Things got tough. People needed to be hard because they needed to make it through it. Mm. Then we come out of the recession and now it's like, shit's good. Fucking life is great. Things are good again. So people are able to be more soft, more emotional, less intense, Mm. more just laid back. And I think that Gen Z growing up through that era really wanted to be allowed to be more emotional and more soft, which I think is a good thing. I don't say that as a bad thing. Um, More emotionally in tune. And now I think we will see what happens. But I think that the pendulum has swung all the way over to where it's very like emotional. And as a society and a culture, we're a little bit more soft right now that I think it will taper off. And I think that we will find a middle ground where it will be like not swing back to where everybody is super tense and like grind mode and all that. But I think we'll take, we'll meet somewhere in the middle where we will, it will taper off from being so emotionally, um, in tune to being a little bit more back for his logic, but it'll taper off in the middle. Um, as a society, in terms of culture, I don't know what happens in terms of the social media. I think TikTok is showing, TikTok is very the pendulum this way. It's very raw. It's very emotional. It's very say whatever you want because there's no repercussions and do whatever you want be vulnerable be vulnerable which is all good shit yeah all that is like that shit that was needed yes and just as a society just like when things swing like if we go into a recession and it's like a big recession i think we will taper back towards being a little bit more hard and a little bit less emotional because people's situations are an indicator your content is an indication of the situation that you're in so if you're if you are going through periods where you're in real financial struggle. Situational struggle, relational struggle. Your content isn't going to be this like easygoing, you know, vibrant. Like that's an indication of where you're at. So I see it. If if we actually do go through real finance, real economic challenge with a recession, I would see our society kind of tapering back towards that. Talk to me about how
0: content and how we judge content based on different periods of time. For example, like we we're very commonly today looking at something from 1970 or what how somebody did something in 1990 and looking at that be like how could they do this or how could they say this how do you think that is going to change
1: as we continue to evolve it follows it follows how we are as a um, nation and as our society is so i think if again if it continues if it goes into a recession i think the content will be a, will be way different than it is right now and I think that when we look back at Instagram, um, when we were coming out of the recession and Instagram was starting to become like really popular, people really wanted aspirational content. Like they really were like, we just had a sh- we just had a long period of time where shit was hard. People lost houses, people lost things, and now there's this platform where you can see people on jets and people live and beautiful people and people living the good life. I want to follow them because that's where I want to get to. And if I follow them, I'm going to get closer to that because I'm going to be seeing it consistently. So that's why that content worked on Instagram, which is why people posted it. Selfies and lavish life and travel and all of that was what the society was requesting at that time. And now with TikTok, it's different because people aren't looking for that as more as much. They're looking for relatable. So if we, I fully think that high, high end, aspirational almost even like uh, overproduced and um glamorous content will come back at some point i don't think that that's ever for gone forever i think that that's gone because right now it's not needed and when that comes back um i along with everybody else that wants to generate attention organically will be posting that content you will have to get into there um so i think it's just an indication of where we are um what i try to do always is look at What is the audience, what is the way that the audience is consuming today that I can tell my story through that lens so that it meets them where they're already at? That's what I think everybody as a creator, if you wanna be a successful creator for a long period of time needs to do, you have to meet the audience where they are. You can't be precious to the style. I can't be, I can't be right now like pissed that I need to shoot on an iPhone or shoot vertical video that is lower production or is done with different, with music over top of it. I can't be precious to that because that's what the audience is craving. That's what they're wanting. So I think you always as a creator and what I always try to do is look at how are people consuming and how can I meet them exactly there? Um, Yeah. You mentioned selfies
0: before and I was doing research for this and you talked about how when you took selfies back in your hockey days, there were guys who would be like, what are you doing? And it wasn't like shirtless selfies. It was just like you pointing a a camera to the mirror and and taking a photo. And I was in that moment. I was like, oh my God, I was that hockey player who was like, that's so weird. And now it's so normal. And I find myself taking selfies all the time, but you were comfortable enough with yourself and with where things were going. Mm -hmm. that you were like, "Damn, I'm willing to do that. Where does see this is this what's so amazing about you is just your ability to like be yourself but also like know where the world is going at the same time yeah so like take me through to those moments and why now do
1: i take selfies when five ten years ago i thought it was weird or i wouldn't do that people hate on what's different until it works and then they call that person the pioneer um and i think for me intuitively i i don't know i i I would trace it back to, I think my parents really instilled in me, my mom for sure, my upbringing with my brothers and sisters for sure, um, instilled in me that I'm going to be confident in my own ways of doing things, regardless of if anything outside agrees with it or not. I don't know if that was even like when I listened to when I listened to Gary Vee talk about like his upbringing his mom like intentionally instilled that in him and he can pinpoint moments where his mom reinforced shit. For me, I don't have that same experience of like, I don't don't consciously remember my mom reinforcing all that shit into me like intentionally, but I think even unintentionally, just by the way that she handled herself and the way that she was, her and my dad, I think they instilled in me that I'm different and that it's okay and that I should honor it and like do things my way and stick to it because I'm happy with it. And so these, these new things that come out, um, my curiosity towards any new technology or any new ways of being that I see that I'm curious about. And then I test out, I go all in on it. I check it out. I I test, I sample things. um, And then I see if it's for me or not. So selfies is a good example of that when, when I am I'm not, I'm never the person, let me say this. I'm never the person that is the first person ever to do something, but I'm always the person that sees that person and notices if it's going to be something that will work and then goes and does it in my own way. So that's a great example of like, I saw people doing that on Instagram and it wasn't necessarily like just like a selfie like this. It was probably like photos in the mirror or a photo of yourself or like some sort of like version of like a get ready with me, but as a photo. So when I notice those and see that, oh shit, people are liking this and there's traction in comments and comments that people are like, oh, this is great. Show us more. Tell us more. Awesome. Hope you're well, like things like that where people, there's positive reinforcement. For me, I'm like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it in my own way and it's going to work. And so that that's why I do it. I hear the chatter of other people. And I I don't want to say that I'm somebody that it doesn't affect me at all. Like I'm like, I don't care even a little bit. I have like a moment of probably like a, a little bit of a moment where it's like a kickback where it's like, oh, I do it. And then I get some positivity, but I also, especially when I was playing hockey, would get negativity. And I would like take a step back, but then I would have a conversation with myself and be like, who the fuck are they to tell me what I should be doing or not? And if I genuinely believe this, I know it's going to work because I've done this before and I know this is going to be okay. So then I follow it and then I end up doing it. And then that's where I like step over that hurdle of like, Oh, there's going to be external voices, but I'm going to keep doing it because I know this is something that I care about. And then that's usually where I get to where I'm at. How do you have that conversation with yourself and how do you convince yourself to keep going? Because
0: I had that conversation with myself when I was 13 And that conversation ended with like, I just want to be a normal kid. I don't want 40 year old women to be writing blog posts about me, hating on me, like I'm good with that. So
1: how do you like have the confidence in yourself to keep going? Or what is that conversation like when that happens? I look at myself and ask if I saw somebody doing something that I didn't necessarily agree with, would I hate on them and talk shit to them and like put them down? No, I wouldn't. So anybody that actually does that is not in a good place with themselves. So it has nothing to do with me. So I think uh, I think about that. So I, I look at the person that's saying it, like when I was playing and I would post a video or a photo or whatever, and then somebody would say something, I would look at the person and I would be like, is this person that is saying this to me, somebody that I wanna take that to heart, that I think genuinely from their highest good is saying that, Uh, and means it like no this person is i know this person they're not happy they're pissed about everything they're not pissed about me it's a reflection of them um and i think that that's the case with everything online and in person like you just don't you don't hate on people when you're happy with yourself you don't hate on people you don't bring people down you don't try to cause harm or anything to anybody else um if there's something that you don't agree with that you don't think is the is your way you usually just walk past or you usually just look at it and then you're like all right that's not for me i'm gonna keep it moving so i i I look at who's the person saying it and then i end up every single time being like they're not the person that i would take this advice from if they are like for example if sam my fiance said something to me about something i was doing and like really tried to tear me down which she would never do but if she really tried to tear me down about it i'd probably sit with it for a minute and be like where is this coming from for her? Does, is this something that like, she's like really feeling that isn't about this? But if it is, then I would sit with myself and be like, how much does this mean to me? Does this mean something to me that I w- want to go against what she's saying and still double down on it because it means something to me? Or is this something that d- really doesn't mean does something to me, but it means a ton to her. So I'm willing to set it aside. Usually it's the former where it's like, if it's something that I care about and I genuinely feel like it's something that, I, that matters to me, I don't care what anybody else thinks and anybody that loves me should care because it means something to me mm. and so I think that that's the way that it would go with with her um but that's typically the way when I get advice from anybody that I look at it I love that you mentioned
0: your fiancee and I'm so curious to dive into this because relationships are something that I don't think is talked about a lot and public relationships where both parties are known are so fascinating to me because not only are you dealing then with the relationship between You and the person, you're also dealing with the relationship of how potentially 500,000 plus people, a million people are looking at that relationship as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's an entirely different thing. How was the decision to be public uh, online and how has
1: the relationship changed as you've grown into a more public presence? Hasn't changed at all since we've been more public. Um, I don't know, dude, like I, I'm, I'm really transparent with everything, so I I would tell, I would have no issue talking to my audience the same way I would talk to my therapist and tell them about my own shit or like which things that are going on. So I do, it doesn't worry me, it doesn't worry me or her ever about us like putting ourselves out there as a couple. Um, I think we both also have the goal of like, our relationship is before anything else. I would drop all of my work in a fucking heartbeat, um, for our relationship. There's no, there's, it's just, it's the most important thing for me in my life other than my relationship with myself. Um, so I think we have that understanding and I don't think that we are, I just don't think that as a relationship, I don't think we're trying to be like that couple in the social world. Um, but people look at you like that. Yeah. But there people look at us like that just from seeing what we're doing and like seeing us together, we're not actually going out and doing like, at least we have it. We did do a little bit on TikTok for a bit, but that was, people just don't know the depth of everything. That's what I mean. We're not like full giving full access into 24 hours of our relationship and everything that's going on. So the people that are online that see the fraction of us, they don't fucking know us. They don't know us. And that doesn't mean that we are different in person than we are online. Anybody that meets us in person would probably be like the exact fucking same. But it's just like, we, we don't even look at that. Like, we're not looking at like, oh, who are we presenting as as this relationship on the internet? Every post that we make about each other, every time we talk about each other, anything that we do together is genuinely just for our enjoyment with each other or for like our friends or family to see like what we're up to. It's never ever about like, oh, her and I together want to cultivate this fan base for us as a couple and then come along with... It. And I think when we get closer to having kids I think we'll have a real discussion of like where do we want to take this to are we trying to get into like family style content and all that because I do think that it's something that I would really enjoy because I love and I think that dad blog and all that shit is the shit that I would really enjoy the most but at the same time there's an audience out there there's people out there that don't care um To that don't like want to go to the places that you want to go to and don't like spend the time and really genuinely care about you. And so I think when people reach a certain point to where they're like globally known and massive, 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 you just end up putting yourself in places where there's people that don't have your best interest in mind. And that's kind of where I'm like, I just don't know if it's worth it for us to just go really hard into that. Whereas you and I can live our lives and really enjoy it and put out the things that we want to put out would not try and become this like global iconic couple um through our own content the problem also is that
0: at some point it becomes unmanageable in the sense like you're getting let's say you're you're putting out this content with your family and it's your friends are seeing it and then people you don't know are seeing it and then it's like well at some point it can become massive and it can become huge and there could be people who see it that you don't even know and you don't want like knowing about your children i mean I think about Anthony Papliano and Polina Marinova. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. They are they're big. I know who he is. Yeah. So they're on they're big on Twitter, and they started by putting out content of their child. Hmm. And then at a certain point, they were like, "What? What happened?" Was someone came up to him at a Starbucks and was like, "I know all this about your child, and, uh, and he, hmm. you know this feels weird and uncomfortable." And he didn't like that, and he was just like, "Nothing wrong with
1: that person." But let me say this though. Yeah. yeah go for it. The people that come up to you in the audience that you create comes through the energy and the, the way that you put out the content for example i know for a fact that P- that gary when he goes out in public never ever ever has a worry about anybody coming up to him because of just the energy that he puts out it doesn't create that kind of a, of a response with the people that are following him i feel the same way I am never worried about anybody that sees any of my content coming up to me. I, I want them to. I please come up to me. Oh, no, I, I agree, and I'm the same way. But that doesn't change the fact
0: that 0.001% of 100 million people is going to be crazy. Like, yeah. actually, psychologically insane. And Tim Ferriss puts out Braid Energy, but that didn't stop. You know, he wrote an incredible blog post, 30 Reasons Not to be Famous of a guy who was a good commenter of him for years, sends him a video and um, mm. his assistant where the guy kills himself on camera mm. and sends it to Tim being like, this is my final note to you. i link that blog post below. And it's an incredibly sad story. And he's like, every one of my friends has had this experience mm-hmm. who is famous after a certain point or oh, wow. thing." And so yeah. I'm with you in that every single time people have come up to me, it's been an amazing experience, such great vibes, such great energy. And I'm like, I'm putting that out into the world and that's coming back. Yeah. But it, it still made me think because he's been in the game for podcasting game for 10 years and the fame game for 20. So it's like, yeah. And most people don't know what Tim Ferriss looks like.
1: You know what, dude? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting discussion of like, just how, like, how big do you want to get? And like, what, how, how do you walk that line of being able to still be secure, um, or, and live your life versus like wanting to be able to be accessed by the people that you genuinely care about and love, which is your audience. I think Sam and I will always play that when we get closer to it. And if we ever feel like oh, this is getting a lot for us, we'll fucking delete all of our social media and go off if we needed to. That's not a it's not a, um, it's not a concern for me. Um, I know where our north star is of like what we're trying to do as a as a couple and like individually too. Um, and so far, we've only had really positive experiences. So knock on wood, that continues happening. Yeah. But yeah, I think you, it's just something you just have to play. You just have to like walk out that, that um, cross that bridge when you get there. Yeah. Absolutely. How does somebody go about finding a way? <laughs> Dude. Uh, by not searching. I met Sam when I was married to the game of hockey, said that to her uh, when we first started talking. Um, when I when I first, and I, mes- I messaged her, that's how we met. When I first messaged her, I had genuinely no interest in dating. Um, she had posted something that was more like of a of a self-development kind of post, and I messaged it saying, This is cool. Um, and had no really no intention of like dating her or anything like that, just becoming friends. I was in a place where I just like really loved hockey and wanted to grind with hockey. Then that developed. Um, and when I actually met her in person, immediately after I met her, probably within the first I don't wanna say it the first day I said I was gonna marry her, but I remember the first day I said to my friends that she's gonna be in my life for a long time. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, I was like, oh shit, like this is gonna be real. Um, so I think I think it's one of those things where the first thing that you have to do is get right with yourself, feel good being you, feel good knowing what it is that you want in another person. And when I say that, most people make a checklist of they need to do this and this and this, fuck all of that, do it where you can feel what you want to feel like when you are with that person, um, when they're in your life, Um, and then walk around with that and you'd be surprised at how much like you start running into people that kind of match that or kind of start feeling more like that. And that's the way that I would go about it rather than the amount of people that are out there that just are like, I need this and I'm searching for this specific person that meets this box and fills in all of these gaps. Um, and it's just going to, and for those people, I think it, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice, get right with yourself, feel good being you know what you want to feel like when you are with that person, start creating that feeling yourself. Um, and that's when that person will appear in your life.
0: Beautiful. Something I've heard you talk about before is the coaching aspect of your life. You've got five coaches. I believe it's like, you've got a therapist, you've got like a somatic healer, you've got a tarot card coach and I believe a couple others. You did your homework. This is great. When did you say to yourself, I'm going to lean into
1: more coaches? And how has that played a role in your life? I look at business and I look at being a creator the same way I looked at myself as a professional athlete where you you want to give yourself the best chance of success and you can't do that by only depending on yourself. So I need a support team around me. So I have more than five. I have a therapist that I talk to. I have a somatic therapist, which is more focused on your body. I have a personal development coach, which is kind of like NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. I have a human design coach, which is another really interesting thing. Every once in a while, I'll go to somebody that's like a tarot card, which sometimes can be a little out there, but it's information that I'm willing to hear. Then I I have creative coaches that I go to that help me with different ideas around content. Um, right now I'm working with a coach that works on operationally. So comes into your business and like helps you just understand how to make your operations better. So I have, I build it, I build a team. You need a team as an athlete. You're never looking at, Oh, I'm going to do every single thing myself. You have a nutritionist, you have personal trainer, you have, you know, masseuse, you have people around you that help you optimize the way that you show up when you're playing your sport. I look at that same thing in business. I look at that same thing as a creator. So I built. I'm building infrastructure around me to help me sustain what I look at as not a one year career. I look at it as a lifetime thing, and all of that structure around me will help me sustain it. Which of those is the most important to you? All of them. And and how do you meet with them? Like, how? What's that schedule? Like? You can't. Uh, you can't place an importance on one more than the other. Uh, there is. So I would say I see. I see my therapist more than I see the the you know tarot card person some of them are like um some of them are more of like a practice where it's like you see them day, uh, uh weekly or every other week uh other ones are like more specific where it's like oh i need creative ideas i've just been feeling really stuck i don't have anything can i have can i meet with this person and then break down all of the things that i've been doing and give me something that can kind of like flip it upside down um, so some are more this here's the way that i look at it it's all a toolbox to build a house, sometimes you need the hammer, sometimes you need the drill, sometimes you need the screwdriver, sometimes you need the level. All of these people in my life are different tools um, for different use cases. So I sit with myself and I'm like, what do I feel like I need right now? Do I feel like I'm really like in my head and what I really need to be is a little bit more in my body? Cool, let's go sit with the somatic therapist that could help me, guide me to feel emotions in my body. Or do I feel like I'm like, um, really just stuck with like, not knowing how to get more off of my plate as a business owner? Cool, let's go meet with the operations specialist that can look at my schedule and be like, this is something you can't be doing because you need to hand it off so you can focus more on this, this, and this. You said a key part of that was sitting with yourself. Mm-hmm. And
0: I'm curious for you, what was the first moments that you started to look at yourself? In a world that we we grow up externally facing, get these grades, play this hockey, look at the world. When did you start looking at yourself and going into her? Kid,
1: as a kid. Yeah, man. Kid, so for you know, sure. It's... For sure as kid. But think dude, you know. think about it like this though. For me as a kid, it wasn't because I was enjoying it. Now I do it as of enjoyment because I know that it's benefiting me. Um, for example, like the analogy I just used, I know that if I come and take some time with myself and think about, and sit with where do I need to go right now to put my foot in the right direction? I know that that will help us as a company, which is something that I enjoy. As a kid, it was more out of survival. It was like oh, because as a kid, like your your greatest threat isn't you actually going out and getting hit by a car, is you losing love from your parents or your siblings or not getting you know validation or recognition from the people in your close circle. So. Anything that threatens that is survival. So for me as a kid, it was more like, oh shit, like mom is like in a a mood where like she's hunched over and like the tone of her voice is a little bit more angry. Like I need to go and spend time and understand what's going on with me and why she's in that mood so that I can go and like kind of fix it or kind of like get closer to her. So it's survival. It's like as a kid, you're like always adapting to different ways that your parents In ways that your parents are which can be good or bad because your parents are doing their best like so it's not that your parents are ever trying to not love you it's just kids need different things and if you're if you're as a parent if you have a parent that can't meet every single one of those kids needs which is impossible kids have to adapt so you so i think for me as a kid it it came from survival of like having to adapt and one of the ways that i adapted was taking space and coming and sitting with myself and probably like running through like what I just did that maybe could have landed that way. And I don't necessarily think that that was a good thing as a kid, but it was a survival thing. And now it's shifted for me to where I do use it to work for me in ways like I'm saying, where I'm like, Oh, I'll take some time. I'll look at things that are going on and work with it. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned survival
0: because in the podcast you did with Dolmoth due diligence, which is great. I'll link it below. You talked about how you were more comfortable in survival than that, and mm-hmm. I thought that was so fascinating. Well, how does that translate today? Is that still the case? And how how
1: does that how has that changed as you? Survival is good for probably about ten percent of your life. Like I think that survival as a mechanism, as a pro athlete, um, for me, it was ingrained in me every day. Could be the last day on this team. You could get cut. Do I think that that helped me? Not at all. I don't think that that actually, aside from the 10%, I don't think that that fueled me because I don't think that I'm somebody that gets fueled by fear. I think that I'm somebody that gets fueled by positive reinforcement or conversation or actual like healthy communication rather than fear, which is what a lot of coaches and a lot of parents and a lot of prior generations used as a mechanism because it worked in that society it doesn't work for the next generation that's growing up with everything being chill and you're not actually worried about, you know, your parents not having a job. Um and so for me growing up I didn't need fear, but it was that was the way that a lot of teams coached me. So so that was something that was ingrained, so survival was a big part of it. Now looking at it, I don't think that survival in that mode is something that really benefits me other than maybe the moments where it's like, Oh shit, this is like a big issue in our work that is clear and is in front of you and is facing you, not something that you're concocting just to stay in survival, which is what I was saying on Dolmos is like, um, anything that you do consistently becomes a habit, which habits done consistently become a personality. And I think you, as a as a habit, me being in that survival mode by being a hockey player, it's easily been translated into the work mode of, like, just stay in survival, like, stay in this place where it's like, oh, shit, it could all be lost today. Everything could go wrong. So a big part for me has been breaking out of that because I don't think it's needed. I don't think that it helps me. I don't think that it helps other people. And I think that I've done a really good job of, like, letting that part of me go and not completely go because I think ten percent of it. Like if there's if I get an email and it's like there is a critical issue with all of our systems and everything is broken, it's like shit, I need to sit switch into this because I need to act on this fast and it's needed. Or if there's, you know, something in the actual like environment and it's needed. It's like cool, you need to keep that around still. But I just think that so many people are operating today where survival is the main thing that they feed off of. And I don't think that it helps them because a big part of business is collaboration. A big part of being a creator is collaboration. And it's hard to collaborate when you're in survival. It's hard to express when you're in survival. It's hard to be calm when you're in survival. Um, And I think a lot of those qualities that you're able to access when you're not in survival are the things that get you to the next level in business and in being a creator, um, particularly for me. So I think letting go of survival has been something that I spent a lot of, that I have in the past spent a lot of time doing. And I'm so glad that I did because it's helped me so much in all those areas.
0: What's the opposite of survival?
1: Thriving, safety, safety, safety. 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 I think every every human being, what they're really trying to accomplish is more safety in their life. More knowing that shit is gonna be okay, that they're in a place where where things are all right. It doesn't need to be, I think happiness is a, is happiness in the terms of joy, where you're just always feeling joyful is not realistic, but I think practicality, content and the feeling of safety and the feeling of, oh shit, this is going to be all right. Things are going to be okay. Is a a feeling that I think people should strive for. um, And that I think that they actually are striving for underneath what they think they're striving for. Interesting. So in doing research for this i
0: found out that you got instilled in you a feeling from your mom and your grandma that everything's going to be all right but i've also heard you just talk about how when you were young you were in survival so it's like how do you reconcile those i guess when we're young we're experiencing all of that potentially or you were experiencing all that but like it how much of your childhood was characterized by survival versus everything's going to be all right because it seems like you're operating
1: with everything's going to be all right today well i think um If you look at studies, um, majority of the way that you, majority of the shit that you're carrying in your life right now comes from ages one to five. And so I think ages one to five for me were fantastic, super safe, parents in a good place, happy, all of that. My parents got divorced when I was about 11 or 12. And I think that after they got divorced, my mom had to get a little bit more hard as, as a single parent of five. And I think my dad was going through his own process. So I think that that became the time where it started to feel a little bit less safe for me. So I think a lot, that's when a lot of that more started to develop of me trying to like figure shit out and be like, what's going on with me? Why aren't they doing that? So I think my real core childhood was really good and really instilled and really safe. So I think that that's where a lot of that comes from me. Um, and I think that the flip side of that, like you're saying the other parts of my childhood and my youth where it wasn't as safe were in my less like developmental years, but still like a big part of like me being a child or being being, youth and that's the kind of shit that I'm working on now like that's that's the kind of shit that I think I work on work through now is like not my like like real like baby child 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 more like my youth um and so I do there's there's I don't feel like I'm fully um in a place where all I feel all the time is safety like I definitely grew up with moments of survival and chaos um but I'm grateful for it like I don't I'm I honestly feel like if I if I was, if I just had the childhood that I had from one to five, where everything was chill, things were good, it was all easy, not easy, it was all like, calm and just pure safety. I don't think that I would have as much maybe tenacity towards the business, maybe the qualities that like, that I think are that I probably overlook within myself that helped me be a good entrepreneur of like the grind and like, let's go and like the the competitiveness, like I think a lot of that was developed when shit wasn't going well at home. And so I look at that as like, I look at all of it as like it happened for me, but I do think that there's those periods where it was challenging for me with my parents, um, and my home life. Um, that is absolutely impacting me now today in good ways, even though it was challenging at that time.
0: What did you know you were going to be famous?
1: (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, I probably when I was a kid, probably like 10, probably what I mean, probably when I was around my brothers and sisters and I was always like the entertainer and the dude that was just like wild. And I, we would do like, like, um, talent shows at our house, got five brothers and sisters. So we'd do like, I just liked being an entertainer. I liked being in front of them and performing. Um, I don't think I really had the understanding of fame within society until Instagram. I think Instagram was probably the first time that I was like, "Oh shit, people can build real audience around themselves in the way that they look at things and the in their photos and their videos." Um, and then that clicked for me. Like, oh, I know that I'm gonna be able to do this. Um, so Instagram was the first time that I was like, I'm gonna build an audience. That's super cool. How do you go about
0: spotting talent? and spotting people that you're like, that person gets it, that person is on the path and I see where they're going. Hmm. That's part of your
1: skill of being able to see people and see the landscape. How do you do that? That's a great question, bro. Um, for sure, part of it is from my dad um, with being able to recognize talent. The, for me, how I consciously go about it. First, I think I have to understand the macro climate so I look at like, where's the world at today and where is it heading? And when I can see that pattern, then I can recognize it in people that it's almost like one, it's like the world's heading this way and this person's heading this way. And at some point they're going to intersect and I can see that that's going to happen. So I'll give you an example. Um, I, when I saw that TikTok became the thing and saw that, oh, the macro climate now is raw, relatable, underproduced, but real value-driven content. Um, I started seeing that. And then I started seeing a bunch of creators that were doing that, that weren't popped off, that hadn't popped off yet. But when I would watch their content, it'd be valuable. It'd be raw. It'd be underproduced. And it would be like really like a relatable piece of content. So I started seeing these people that were going like this and heading where everything was going. And I started sending messages to a lot of them saying, yo, your shit's good. Like this is going to happen for you. And there's probably, I'll even name, Matt Choi as a dude that right off the top of my head. Do you know Matt? Austin, dude. There's just these, create, there's, there's people that I see that I'm like, this is where this is heading. You're going there. And I don't think a lot of them see it first. You're right. It is probably a skill that's so just natural to me. This isn't something that I've practiced. Um, but I see them heading there. And I like to give people props when I know that they're heading in that direction. Um, so I see a lot of them and I send them messages like, yo, your shit's dope. Keep doing it. It's going to happen for you. Um, but it is the intersection of where the macro climate is and where their micro climate is. Um, and if I see those two lining up, that's usually when I can see that this is going to be something that's going to work. You said match or are there any others that come to mind
0: where you're like, I spotted this person before they blew up or I sent them a message?
1: Videographer, uh, girl, Tamar, uh, cement or Clement. Um, she's a, she's a TikToker that's up hopping right now. Uh, Victoria Paris is another girl that I think was crushing. Tim Sano is a dude that saw his vlogs and was like, this dude's going to be big. Um, musician, um, Connor Price, that's popping right now, that uh, looked at his stuff. He was making skits. His music's going really viral right now on, on Instagram. Saw him making skits, was like, these skits are really funny and clever, and your music's good. This is going to work for you. Um, I'll tell you another one. Bold prediction, because since this is So what I'll say is a lot of those people are now at step probably seven, eight, nine, where they're like starting to get the recognition. Most people don't know those people, just so you know. Okay, okay, cool. I've heard of a few of those. They will. I'll give you an even bigger one. Somebody right now that I think will be big, 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 when we look back at this in five years that isn't big at all right now is Arden Jones, musician, A-R-D-E-N-J-O-N-E-S. I'm promising you I have the same. It's a feeling for me. I see people. I see the culture, I see where they're heading and it's a feeling for me that I can feel like a almost like a fuck yeah, like this person's gonna gonna do some real shit. Um what in a good way. Feel? What does that feel? I just feel like I feel warm, like in my heart like kinda like lights up and I feel like almost like a like almost like like a celebration, like when you when you score a goal or make a point or something like that. And you're like, fuck yeah, like I feel that. I'm like, fuck yeah, I see this person. That shit's going to happen for them. It's going to click. They're going to score or get, they're going to achieve whatever they want to achieve. Um, So somebody right now that I think that that is happening with is Arden Jones. I'm putting it, um, he, I'll put it this way. He's the only dude that I would go and buy an NFT from as an artist. And I'm not, and I'm not even buying NFTs right now, but it, he put one out and I was like, ah, oh, this could be cool to be the one dude that I'm like, he's going to crush it. I think that he, has legs that in the next couple of years um will be playing main stages and selling out shows and I think that he'll be somebody kind of like a Dominic Fike who I had that same feeling with probably 3 4 years ago Dominic Fike and this goes all the way back to if there was if if I was if I had more of an audience on Instagram in 2008 9 10 I would have been messaging Jay Cole cuz I knew when I listened to his first mixtape that I was like this dude has it it's going to work the storytelling that he has the beats that he's choosing, the culture that he's playing within, it's going to work for him. Um, and look where I now. So yeah. How do we get better at that skill? Because like what, like you, I'm pretty
0: good at, in my lane of writing. And I, I can tell when people are going to hit. Like it just, it's on the record. Like Dickie Bush episode 21 now has 500,000 followers. And it's just like, I've done this time and time again. Gary Vaynerchuk, age 13. I'm good at it. But like, I don't know how to explain to people or like give people that secret of being
1: good at spotting talent but like could you help how do how do we get better at spotting talent if i did i mean this would be a if i did if this was scalable and this was like a thing this is like a thing that i would love um to be able to teach i would say for me it's like spending a lot of time in culture spending a lot of time meeting people, genuine curiosity because for the, for the five that I find that I'm like, yo, these people have it and it does work. There's about 87 that I, that I spend time looking at and consuming to realize that it's not going to work or to realize, oh, they have it, but it maybe is missing X, Y, and Z. And so it's not gonna match up. And so I think that there's, it's the macro climate of where we're at in your relationships with your friends in the, when you go to a coffee shop and you see what people are doing on their computers or on their phones. What you see on the news what you see on the tv it's that plus your own understanding of what is this person doing in their day-to-day life with their content since that's what today is in their day-to-day life that is going to get them that recognition with where the world is at where do those meet Hmm. Uh, i'm gonna have to think on that yeah and and because i think it's really i think i'm gonna have to think on it too i'm now i'm gonna try and be like what how do i do this more often well the thing is in a
0: world that is dominated by artificial intelligence and anyone can create anything in any moment it's going to be the people with discernment that change everything because in artificial intelligence you can have it create a TikTok script or you could have it create a book even but can you notice where that book is making you feel Mm -hmm. can you notice the parts of that book that are special it's like that is where the skill lies And the people with the best tastes are going to be the people who dominate the next 50 years is my prediction. Hmm. And it's true for the past 20 years as well. And true for when your dad
1: was growing up in hockey and when he was. Here's the way that I look at that. What you just said is I think that the people that are more emotionally connected will dominate the next 20 years. Here's why I think that the past X, Y and Z amount of years have been black and white and have been more logic and more yeah, more into like the logical and like thinking rather than intuitive and feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that the people, and intuitive and feeling I also feel like is gray rather than black and white. The issue and the reason why everybody goes black and white and the issue with the gray is you can't scale it. It's hard to scale emotions. Going back to our conversation about the reason why I think that I, the reason why those coaches didn't want me to fall out of line was because to fall out of line for them to come and sit with me, they would have to have an emotional conversation. That would be a challenge for them because when you're sprinting, it's really hard to go fast with emotions. No emotions, you can go fast as fuck. With emotions, it's a little bit murky. Sometimes you got to go slower. Sometimes there's more hand-holding. People don't want to do that because when you scale, you want to go fast. And so I think that the way that people are going to succeed over the next little bit is by doing the things that are more emotional more gray less scalable more intuitive and more connected because that's really how you actually build within culture and that's what i feel like i do a lot of so but gary Vaynerchuk
0: is an example of someone who has scaled emotions and has scaled kindness and has scaled empathy so like how
1: do you explain that and how does he how can we use him as a model for the next 20 years He has scaled it. So it's a great question. Like, I don't know internally how he is probably one of the people that is pioneering and stepping into a realm of trying to scale something that is typically unscalable, like emotions in gray, because he plays in it very well. I don't know internally how that is as an organization, if everybody feels that way as well. Like if the people that are on his, not his core team, but like if employee 1,407 Feels that that emotions has scaled. You just don't know that. I would love that. That would actually be really interesting because it is harder. It's really hard. I even know it right now with a team of five. It's it, the more people, the more people that get added, the more you, the harder it is to spend time with them. And I feel like I still feel like it's really easy for me right now with this a team. But you got to imagine when you get to the place of a hundred, it's just more challenging to go and have really thoughtful conversations and be like, ah. Oh, you're not feeling great today, cool, take the day, go do your thing. you know. And as somebody that has their priorities aligned with selling a company or being a billion dollar company or money being the, bo- the, the main thing that you're running at, you start looking at those emotions in that gray as something that is detrimental to your business rather than the way that I look at it is like, that's not my end goal to have a billion dollar company or sell the company or just look at as at finances as being the bottom line um i'm willing to go and have those conversations and put a pause on the business side of things because that's my, my end goal is aligned with that are you trying to scale in ways i'm trying to see uh, yes and no am i trying to scale employees no am i trying to scale attention and awareness yes do i think that i can achieve scaling attention and awareness with a small team, yes, which is where I'm willing to play. I don't want to get to a place where I have 100, 200, 300 employees because I really like the feeling of having a team that I'm close to all the people on the team. But do I want to scale my content and have it be cranking out the way that Gary and Alex Hormozzi and all these people do? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It, it's so fascinating the the dichotomy between scale and connection because I even notice it now where I want to give attention to people who are the contents resonating with in the podcast and they're tweeting to me and they're sending me messages and I'm like holy smokes because it's now bigger I can't spend that one on one time that I did two years ago responding to every single message
1: with thought and care and I'm I'm trying my best (laughs) but I I can't do it now at the level that I once did it two years ago I think the way that you do it is by putting out content that you would want to be saying in the DMs like I think that Because I'm going through this right now of like, how damn, how do I get back to... I have a texting community of 7,000 people that I want... I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. um, That I want to get back to every single person. And obviously, with time, it's impossible to get back to 7,000 texts um, consistently. So for me, I go, how do I get these people to know that I genuinely care about them and I'm thinking about them and I'm working towards solutions for all of their questions. The answer for me so clearly is it's content. Put out content that when they see it, it makes them feel like you are acknowledging them, recognizing them. And then there's little like hand-to-hand things that you could do like Zoom with people or a walk or meetups and things like that. But I think it really, it's it's trying to do the unscalable. And if you, trying to do the unscalable the best that you can and then the other full side of it is just putting out as much content as you can around those topics. Yeah, That's a perfect example. What I've realized over the past uh, year really is like
0: what I'm doing with this content is I'm just scaling my personality. I'm just getting myself into as many ears and as many heads as possible. And because I believe I'm giving out kindness and hard work and discipline and connection, I have an obligation to get that into as many hearts and minds as possible for you what was what are the things that you want to put on a pedestal and that you want more people to know and appreciate and put in their mind
1: and heart um it's a great question bro i appreciate that question i think the main thing that i want from everybody that watches any of my content is to know that they're capable and i say that with "you're capable period with not justifying it with like a, you're capable to create a business, you're capable, you're capable of doing whatever you wanna do. You're capable of living the life that you wanna live. And I want people to know that we're at whatever situation that they're in, they can create the life from that situation. And the add on to that is because I'm, because I want it to be practical and I want it to be something that is contextual to today is the way to get there is through content, which is why I make all of my content for creators or people that should be creating content, which is literally everybody in the fucking world is because the way to get yourself out of the situation that you're in right now and into a better one is by creating content in 2023. That is the number one way to do it. And in 2029, if it changes and now all of a sudden it's VR and it's something that, and we're it's a hologram, I will be saying it that way you're capable and the way to do it is by doing this. And so I think I want people to I want people to feel like they're able to do it. I, so that's like empowered. I want people to have fun and enjoy their life. I put that as probably like the most high on my pedestal is like like as much as my content is deep and is like thoughtful and all that, I want to have a lot of fucking fun. I want people to have fun. I want you to enjoy the, your day to day. When I get up and I come to and do work here, I'm stoked. like i I enjoy it. I genuinely have fun doing it. And I want everybody to experience that. Um, So, yeah, those are a couple of things that I want people to
0: feel. You've been beating that drum for 10 years. Do you know what your first tweet ever on November 30th, 2013 was? No. Three words. Never doubt yourself. And what year was that? November 30th, 2013. 2013. 10 years ago. your, Your first tweet ever is
1: never doubt yourself. Do you have any idea, like, why you put that? Yeah, up? I'm trying to think. So, November, I would have been in-season. 2013, that's probably... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Probably my first year of pro, or maybe my last year of juniors. Um, would have been... Uh, probably me doubting myself at some point. Me being like, fuck it. Like, never doubt yourself. I want to put this out there for everybody else, too. Um, but, yeah. Bro, I, I, like, the... I'm just chiseling away at parts of me that were not needed to get to the parts of me that I always knew that I had. And so I think that the, um, the, this core that people are seeing more of now of like my content and all of that was always there. was always there. It just was, there was just, there was some, there was some, um, some cement and some surroundings pieces around there that needed to be chiseled off. And so that's what my work is. And that's what my work will continue to be. Not to f- go and find the person that I think that I am, but to get close to the person that I know that I've always been by letting go of the parts of me that I know that I'm not. That's so beautifully said. I like to end these podcasts with a challenge. I ask the guests the challenge
0: to take everything we've said and have somebody apply and do some action in their day to day life. They've made it this far in the episode. I appreciate that tremendously. I'm sure JT does as well. Where? What can we do to challenge people to take an action step from everything
1: we've talked about or something we haven't covered yet make a video go take your iphone your android your motorola razer your t-mobile sidekick whatever it is that has a camera on it and turn the camera around and say something that you've been meaning to say whether that's to your younger version of yourself whether that's to your best friend whether that's to your parents whether that's to the ideal person that you're trying to reach on the other side of the world. Say something, film it, and put it out there in the world because your community is there. The people that you are looking for when you're in your room and you're down and you're like, damn, I don't feel like I have those people in my life. They are there. They are out there in the world. And the way to reach them is through putting videos out. So go and do that. JT Barnett, ladies and gentlemen, where can we send people to connect with you further? Yeah, I appreciate you guys listening. And everything for me is at JT Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T on all the platforms everywhere. Please send me a message if you listen to this. Um, I'm here for you and I'm grateful for you listening. Link below. Thank you so much, JT. Thanks, bro.